Next Chapter Podcast. Hey, everybody. Alex Collegian, host of How I Got Greenlit here. Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to take a second to let you know about another great podcast that we love. It's Simpleton Cinema. Join Russ and Preston as they talk about movies they love, either their favorites, their least favorites, but it's always a funny conversation and a very literate and informed one. We enjoy it. We listen to it when we're not listening to ourselves, but don't take my word for it. Check out this clip from Russ and Preston at Simpleton Cinema. I'm Ross LaFrance. And I'm Preston Mitchell. And we're Simpleton Cinema. This is the podcast where we talk about movies and whatever else is happening in the world. We're here to break down and discuss your favorite or least favorite movies. Every movie is someone's favorite, and we're here to try and see why. Give us a listen, and you'll have our big dumb opinion on some of the biggest movies and TV shows out today. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Check us out. Please. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to How I Got Greenlit, a weekly podcast about pursuing your passions both in the creative arts and beyond. I'm Alex Collegian, along with host, (laughs) (laughs) co-host, Ryan Gibson. Our guest this week is Claudia Puig. She is an entertainment journalist and film critic. She is the main critic for NPR's Film Week has written for LA Times and USA Today, where she hosted the video series, The Screening Room, president of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association, and most recently was uh, uh, made the programming director for the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Today, Claudia is brought for her B-side movie, Steven Soderbergh's 1998 movie, Out of Sight, where George Clooney plays a career bank robber who breaks out of jail and shares a moment of mutual attraction with a U.S. Marshal he has kidnapped, played by Jennifer Lopez. What? Would you? I like that movie. You like that? You can see the star. We talk about it, right, Alex? I love that movie. I think it's great. Uh, we we kind of uh, fawn over it a little bit much, but I, I think it's a really strong uh, contender and, a, and a, a good. I would hope that Claudia, as a film critic, would pick one a good one, and she did. She did. Um, and as always, if you like the show, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. This is a sincere call to action. I can for feel you it. all. You can feel it. In I can your, feel in, the sincerity. In your plums. Mm-hmm. We need you to engage, as they say, not in the Captain Picard sense, but in the social media sense. The only way that these platforms where we uh, pod or where we socialize with you on Twitter and Instagram is when you respond. When you like it, when you share it, when you comment on it, it's very important. I wish it wasn't. I wish you could lay back in your easy chair there with your bonbons and Headphones just listen. On. But it turns out you got to lean up and hit like. So you got to smash that subscribe button. As I've made fun of so many people in the past, I am now part of La Vida Social. Um, and remember to follow us at how I got greenlit on Instagram and Twitter and send all your questions, comments, complaints, shit talking, guest recommendations, weird rants to 
howigotgreenlit at gmail.com and join us for all your How I Got Greenlit needs at howigotgreenlit.com. That was fantastic, Alex. I, I also want to say to the to our audience, our loving audience, do you like us? Do you want us to continue making this More show? More importantly, do you hate us? Do you hate Tell us? Tell us. Please. Engage. Tell us to piss off. If you do hate us, please leave a five-star review on, <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Whether you hate us or love us, we would love to continue doing this. Clicking anything anywhere lets the platforms <laughs> Thumbs know up. you're alive. Thumbs down. Uh, you, you're you have not been put on, uh, you know, repeat by a loved one during your coma, and you're actually engaged in listening, and you want to participate in the conversation. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And again, thanks for listening. And this is Claudia Puig. Hi, and welcome back to How I Got Greenlit. I'm your host, Alex Collegian, joined by my co-host, Ryan Gibson. Hi, everybody. And today we have a very special guest. We have Ms. Puig, uh, who I've known you for a few years now. Thank you for joining us. She's a very uh, esteemed film journalist, uh, uh, now recently named to be the head of the Santa Barbara Film Festival. I what what does one call the head of a film festival? Is that a role? Is that a uh, <laughs> well? I'm actually the program director. Program they're, they're, director, yeah, yeah. which which is in essence the uh, the curator, the person that actually picks the films, or yes. what, what? Okay, that's exactly right. Well, that, the programming. That, yeah, I was going to say yeah. the most important role, right? I mean, I don't care about the catering at a film festival. Right? <laughs> no, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should. Maybe yeah. that, maybe that's the upside. We live on popcorn, um, so what the heck? Well. Well, thank you for joining us. We, uh, you know, we we started this show in COVID, and it was kind of just dedicated to talking to us and our friends about filmmaking. And as I have made films and done other roles on films from all levels, I realized that we all play a part in the making of a film. My big uh, breakthrough for me was like understanding that an entertainment attorney is also a filmmaker, which took a long time for me to come <laughs> around to see, but. Uh, the role of writers obviously is primary primary in our culture right now with the writer strike but you know we don't talk as much about film journalism and uh you know i wanted to i, I was curious to ask you because i feel like there was a lost time when uh critics reviewers journalists of film the pauline kales the roger eberts uh the peter biskinds they were such a, a force of nature. In fact, many filmmakers came from your ranks, right? I mean, the French New Wave were all journalists. And, Francois Truffaut uh, was a critic. Mm -hmm. Truffaut was a critic. Um, at Bogdanovich sort of bounces back and forth in some capacity, not necessarily as a reviewer, but more of a sort of a essayist and uh, celebrity biographer, et cetera. Um, was this something you always knew you wanted to do or was journalism first and film second or was film the love and journalism was the gig and you managed to merge? What, what, what happened? It was the third. Um, journalism was the gig. Film was always the love. I was raised by people who loved film. My dad was a very into sort of foreign films, avant-garde stuff. So he would take me as a child to see like Fellini movies and Bertolucci and probably when it was completely inappropriate. I'm, I'm sure I'm scarred because of it, but um, <laughs> in a, maybe in a good way, I don't know. But um, 
And my mother was a lover of like classic American cinema. She did dubbing for the movie. So she dubbed um, Judy Garland's voice for Meet Me in St. Louis. She was on contract with MGM. So she brought me up on sort of classic American fare. So between the two of them, I felt like I had, I, I, I didn't think of it at the time, of course, but looking back, it was kind of a little mini film school. Um, so it was my love, but I never thought about making a career in it. And I went into journalism because like so many other journalists, I'm kind of a bleeding heart and I wanted to change the world and, you know, all the usual reasons people go into journalism and cause I like to write. And, um, then I kind of thought, oh, you could put these two together. And it kind of hit me, I think, as I was close to turning 40 and I was thinking, what can you age into gracefully? You can't go chasing down like drive-by shootings and stuff when you're older. It's unseemly. So um, I decided the thing that could be that maybe, you know, what's who's an eminence grease? Critics are, right? Um, so I, when I left the LA Times after 11 years there, I went over to USA Today and I was doing, I was writing about entertainment, but like, you know, in-depth stories, um, following filmmakers, interviewing filmmakers and and actors, you know, writing about it as an industry, which, you know, when you're in LA, it is an industry. It's like being in Detroit and covering the, the auto industry, right? Um, but I pitched the idea of reviewing and then they were not sure. And they, I said, look, I'll just do like family movies. I've got kids. I was the only one on staff who had kids at that time. And I'll, you know, so they threw me a bone, um, no pen intended, and sent me to The Dog of Flanders. And I remember it was really bad. And I wrote a review, and then I wrote a few sample reviews, and then they said, okay, we'll bring you on. And, and then that was back in 2001, and I stayed there for another 15 years writing, uh, reviewing, and, and realized I'd found my, you know, sweet spot. Very cool. Did you, uh, uh, where, when you said you were a child, where, where did you grow up? Where, uh, I grew up here in LA in the Valley, Valley girl. Um, so, you know, that's the other thing is when you grow up in LA, you're sort of surrounded by this industry. And my parents were, uh, friends with Earl Hamner who created the Waltons and, you know, they, my dad was a college teacher, but we just knew a lot of people and, this, and we, they knew a lot of writers, um, guy who wrote for like my three sons and, um, family affair <laughs> when I was a little kid nice. that's, you know, they'd be over for dinner. Um, so, you know, I was sort of surrounded by it all. And I was always reading the, you know, LA Times calendar section. And so I guess, you know, my sort of immersion in entertainment and film started pretty early. And uh, so, so were you raised uh, bilingual? Did you learn it later? Yeah, uh, I was. My first language was Spanish. Um, both my parents were born in Mexico and came here as children. So they were completely bilingual. Like, you know, you would never hear an accent um, spoken. And they realized for both of them, my mother had done dubbing into Spanish uh, of film roles. And my dad was a, a college professor, taught Spanish and linguistics and Italian. So they both knew that Spanish had been a real advantage for them in their lives and in their careers. And so they were determined they were only going to speak to me in Spanish for the first, you know, <laughs> until I went to school. And right. um, my dad would kind of use me as a little rhesus monkey and sort of, you know, like try to teach me languages with his little tape recorder. And then when I was five, we moved to Switzerland for a year and I learned um, the local Swiss dialect, Swisser Deutsch, and came home with a very strange accent um, and went to first grade and was mocked and called a taco and an enchilada and quickly lost the accent and um, <laughs> <laughs> but kept the language and very proud uh, of the ethnicity. <laughs> oh, the bullying. As, as, mu as much as things are swinging hither and yon in the, in the cultural uh, 
you know, paradigm. I am glad that bullying is, is no longer tolerated. On yes. Those, uh, levels. That is a, that yes. is a nice change. It is. Um, it, I'm looking at, I mean, so you, you've, you've done and actually currently are doing quite a bit. You're, you're writing, uh, you're a journalist. You're you're on NPR every week, uh, doing uh, criticism for the Film Week, and you're also president of the LA Film Critics Association. In addition to your recent announcement as programming, programming director of Santa Barbara International Film Festival, would you would you put all these under the under the blanket of film advocacy film appreciation yeah, yeah absolutely that's yeah. you're one of the few people to actually sort of put all that together um i consider myself kind of a yes a film advocate almost with like you know missionary zeal you yeah know, well i mean the programming ties. director like you're you're the you're the locator i mean sure everybody could write their their review of i don't know avengers endgame or whatever but it's probably more it's it's that Pauline Kale thing, that one review of that little movie that no one ever saw that gives it some momentum, right? That may lead to greater things for a, a filmmaker that you want to highlight, right? Those are always, for me personally, those are the highlights. Um, I remember years ago, I um, what was the movie? It was Half Nelson with um, Ryan Gosling. Do you remember that movie? This machine is keeping me down. Now, what is that? What keeps us from being free? Miss Dre. Prisons. Absolutely. What I saw it, I was, I thought it was amazing. And that was before Ryan Gosling was a thing and a meme. Yep. And all. Yeah. Um, and, between uh, Disney and glory. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, I remember saying, you know, this guy deserves an Oscar. His performance is amazing. And then I can't remember who it was. It was the head of the little indie at the time wrote to me. Well, it was, it was me and Lisa Schwartzbaum of EW. We both were sort of saying that. And then when he did get nominated for an Oscar, um, the head of the studio like sent me an email saying, you know, you guys were the ones responsible. You're the, who started the bandwagon going. And um, that's one of my favorite parts of this job is to really be that advocate and to bring movies to, you know, the, to, to people and, and that movies that might not have been seen highlight roles and directors and writers that might, you know, uh, might not otherwise have been, noticed that much of it have just gone under the radar for whatever reason. Sometimes it's lack of marketing or whatever, but um, yeah, that's absolutely my favorite role as an advocate. And I feel like being a program director, which as you know, because I programmed your film at the Chapel yeah, Hill. Yeah, 919. I've been, I I've been programming since I left USA Today in 2015. I did the Napa Valley Film Festival. I did the Mendocino Film Festival. I was a senior programmer at AFI. So I've been doing programming for the past few years. And then I joined, um, Santa Barbara two years ago. And it's a complete extension of criticism. It's just, it's the good part of it. You know, you're curating. Yes, of course, you're having to leave some some back the way you would write a bad review or something or a mediocre review, but you get to advocate and you get to really bring, you know, not maybe not the masses to the same degree, but you get to bring people to movies and you get to see the excitement and you get to share that excitement. And it's just, it's a, it's a little bit more, um, like tactile, it's a little bit, you know, when you're writing something, you don't know if it's going to hit and it's going to land and who's going to read it. But when you're actually programming a film festival, you know, you can see that audience and you can hear their reaction. So it's, it's very, very satisfying. I love it. So, uh, 
this is a subjective question, but I, I'm curious. I mean, journalism itself is subjective. I tend to be drawn as a filmmaker and a film lover. I tend to be drawn to films, obviously good films, but in the case of a film that's not good, I prefer a swing for the fences and a miss as opposed to a mediocrity. Absolutely. As opposed to like a timid little mediocre. At, like it, they fail because they're so derivative or slashed, you know, dis, 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 uh, dissolved into all these other influences yeah. and trying yeah. to please distilled right? from other stuff. And they're trying to, yeah. yeah, they're trying to do something so safe, like, Oh, well, this worked. So I'll pull this and pull that. Yeah. I a hundred percent. I agree with you. Um, I, do you admire. see this? Do you see the intention? Like, like if it's yeah. a bad film or if it's, let's call it a flawed film or a, a failed attempt at, you can see what they're going for and try to give them yeah. the two cents of, well, Hey, I, I, I appreciate the effort, but here's maybe where it failed and absolutely some of it may have been your fault. And some of it may have been out of your hands. Absolutely. And I will say, I appreciate the effort. And I do think that it's better to swing, uh, you know, uh, for, you know, the, the, furthest possible thing and to really try something. And yeah, absolutely. And, and it's pretty hard to hit the mark when you do. And when you do, you know, my God, it's amazing. Um, but I, yeah, I do. And I try to sort of, when I write reviews or when I do my reviews on NPR, just, you know, kind of point out the good things and point out, um, you know, sort of what, the strong points and how this could have been better, how this might've been different. I remember years ago, I wrote a review of, I can't remember which movie it was that The Rock was in, but it was something where he was playing like a, a bad guy, you know, just doing all his doing, you know, action stuff. And I remember saying it was after he had done that movie with where he was like a dad of a little girl who was wearing a tutu. Do you remember that image? Yeah. The tooth fairy, I think. Yes. Tooth fairy, yeah. Right. So I said, you know, I, I think that it's better when he plays against type and, you know, there's this big hulking guy, you know, kind of doing cute little things with a cute little kid in the tutu. And, so I just, you know, threw that out there. And then a few months later, one of my colleagues was interviewing him and, and that person said, hey, uh, and then Dwayne Johnson said to him, hey, do you know Claudia Puig? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I work with her. And he's like, oh, tell her thank you that she gave me she gave some advice to me like in a review or something. And she, she gave some advice that I really have taken to heart. And I'm like, oh, that's very cool. <laughs> you know, because you, you do want to encourage as opposed to, you know, just just flame, yeah. just torch. Yes. Yeah. I mean, people work really hard on films and it's, it's who am I to flame or torch? No, I want to, you know, especially when it's somebody that you do like and you see the potential and you see the talent, it's like, no, encourage and, you know, and note the positive. It's funny you bring up The Rock. By the way, I know exactly the turn that you're talking about because Tooth Fairy was a misfire for him. And uh, it was like you gave him the perfect sort of... Uh, direction to go to and he really like sort of went there right yeah um, yeah uh, it's interesting someone wrote an article less a review well maybe a review of his overall career and they were talking about very similar thematic thing that you were saying in the sense that and you even sort of illustrated it when you're like i don't know some movie he did you know <laughs> he's he's a movie star i guess but where is the classic? Like, what's the first line of the of the obit, right? Yeah, I think he's still. Not are you are you talking about the Rock right now? Uh -huh. Yeah, we are. What's yeah, what's well, the one, you, Ryan? You what's the are... one? 
Yeah, like, sorry, we know you guys him. are way off on the rock. <laughs> well, I guess you'd say like one of the Fast and Furious, just because they're so big. But yeah, but th- 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 he's not an original cast. He's not an original cast member of the that's Fast and not the Furious. His. He's, no. he's a he's a he's spicy one of the element ensemble. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, what's his Terminator? What's his Conan? That's what's a really his, good point. Yeah, you know, he hasn't hasn't hit it yet. No. See GI Joe. Who was in G.I. Joe, my God? The, the thing I remember uh, they about G.I. Joe. They got huge. Well, first of all, this is the first time the movie G.I. Joe has been talked about. Uh, just by, by a legitimate film <laughs> journalist. But I critic. have to say, I have to say, uh, Channing Tatum was in G.I. I mean, Bruce Willis was in G.I. Joe. Oh, there's Joe. another movie star. Bruce yeah. Willis. Well, I, I, I think Rise of Cobra, you know, Got brought the franchise to higher heights, don't you, Ryan? Abom- both movies are abomination to <laughs> the GI Joe franchise. I'm sorry. I'm just IMD being Dwayne Johnson just to see if there's anything that jumps out at me. But when you said um, uh, the vehicle, it's like obviously it was um, Magic Mike. It was like, it just, it's right. just got, if it doesn't yeah. do this, then it's not the thing. Right. I don't know. I would say walking tall, probably. I thought Clooney was a free floating movie star and we're going to talk about him in a little while. Yeah. Until yeah, out of sight. Some, yeah I, I saw movie star and out of sight and then it was cemented yeah. on the, on the wider uh, yeah. landscape. Out of sight. Ocean's absolutely. 11. I went back and watched it again. Out of sight is and why it's your film that you brought to talk yeah. about in a little bit. It, it you can see it cementing the movie star like Soderbergh is looking at Clooney as this sort of like raw asset and he's going this but not this this but not this this but not this this much humor this much macho heroism this, this much, much romanticism yeah 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 a- a- stop shake well yeah. And then, and then they just, that's the oceans, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, you know, their whole run together. Right. And, and Clooney's like Ascension in my mind, because he was like, someone once said, a friend of mine, he said, you know, uh, to, for, to really succeed in Hollywood, the town has to be rooting for you. Yes. Which I thought was a, a really telling statement, right? Yes. So, because there's a lot of, I mean, by the way, right before I got on, I I just started reading some excerpts from the book about the behind the scenes of Lost. Do you guys know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, I've heard about this. Yeah. Oh boy. I'm gonna read that. Oh yeah. boy. That somebody like found the what do they call those? The sealed, uh, you know, when they seal the town records and they crack uh-huh. them open. It's like the they box. seal the dirty laundry <laughs> yeah. box. Yeah. They they opened the, uh, what do you call it? The bunker. They found the lost right, bunker and right. they opened it up. And inside is a bunch of fucking shit talking. It sounds Well, like I mean, pretty- and look at the Oscars. They were clearly rooting for Jamie Lee Curtis. There who, you go. You know, it's arguable she didn't, you know, whether she deserved it. They weren't rooting for Andrea Riseborough, right? Even though. Oh, boy. How dare actor. you skip your place in line, you? I do want to go back and argue one thing. If yes. you're saying out of sight was Clooney's role as a or ascension to a movie star i think that's wrong too because he did batman and robin the year before yeah but he bombed misfire misfire yeah Uh, the town was rooting for him so you know i i think yeah the town was rooting for him the town wanted him to be a star he thought that was the vehicle schumacher mismanaged what his skills were and weren't it's too arch he's funny 
and he's and he's handsome. All the same elements are there, Ryan, just in the wrong formulation. That's a really good point. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, he's not a movie star in the sense that you don't give the Batman role to somebody to a no. little, you know, nobody. But um, I mean, there's people who would say that ER cemented it way going way back. But in terms of, I was Agreed. going back and looking at some reviews of. Um, out of sight and somebody said do you and we've all forgotten about this kind of but do you remember his first few movies he did that head bobbing thing he would do this like shaking thing so we've all forgotten it because we all admire Clooney but because it was shtick I think it's because Soderbergh told him to calm the fuck down yeah I mean really and there were reviewers who who said oh he's finally learned how to like control his head and (laughs) it was like yes I remember thinking oh he looks it he's great but that head it's just really distracting and so he really didn't know if he you know it was like it was limiting him as an actor and suddenly he's found the role he was born to play well, it's the stillness, right? You know, there's a yes. great Michael Caine anecdote about meeting John Wayne and he had just done Alfie. And so, you know, the, the setting is the best part. He's in the Beverly Hills Hotel lobby and John Wayne lands in a helicopter and gets out dressed like a cowboy from the location of some film. And he walks by him and he goes, hey, I know you. You were in that Alfie movie. He said, yes, sir. And he goes, you're going to be a movie star. And he said, I'm going to give you some advice. And he said, you know, talk low, talk slow and don't say much and wear and never wear suede shoes. And Michael Caine said, well, I get the first three, but what's the suede shoes about? And he said, well, because you're going to be at the urinal and someone's going to recognize you and they're going to turn and go, aren't you Michael Caine? Oh my God. That's the, that's the shoes. That's but, a but, great little anecdote. But, 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 the, but the notion being like, uh, we could name very, like I used to, you know, when, when Ryan and I are trying to cast films, I always ask like, is, okay, is he mom famous? Right. Has my mom heard of him? Right. Cause yes. it, cause we all know these names that, they, that the, I don't know who it is. It's somewhere between a casting director, the town, producers, buzz, gossip, whatever. Yeah. Heat. You yeah. might call it heat. And and they'll put forth these names for us to consider. And I'll go, oh, well, they're pretty good actors, but like, has my mom heard of them? Right. You know? <laughs> and when Ryan and I are dealing with some of these genre movies that they we have to find money from foreign sources, they're also pretty old fashioned. You know, yeah. if I, if I bring forth that, like someone that you're like, this person is going to be a movie star in three years. If I show that to the Benelux buyer, that's going to throw, you know, $400,000 into my budget, they're going to go, who the F, f is this? Yeah. You know, yeah. like a, a good example would be like Justin Thoreau. Like mm-hmm. I think Justin Thoreau is a great actor. I mm-hmm. think we all know who he is. Mm-hmm. We know his face. We've seen him in a million really big properties, but but you'd have she's to say like, the leftovers to your mom and your mom would say, Oh, I watched maybe one episode. Like, uh, yeah. Which uh, one was uh, that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, now he's a lead in white house plumbers with, with Woody Harrelson. I mean, you know, he's, he's always been almost, almost a star. Almost I, famous. I respect, <laughs> yeah. almost, I mean, yeah. or famous ish or just not, you know, not name above the title. More famous for being just... married to Jennifer Aniston probably than anything. Well, that's, oh, that's a <laughs> low blow. That's always a kick in the slats to uh, an actor, right? That yes. they were sort of the, 
yes. associated with the bigger right. side of the couple, which right. one might argue that's the root of a lot of uh, dissolution. Oh, this, I'm sure it is. Well, you know, couple-ish. speaking of all this movie star stuff, you just reminded me years ago, my very first interview that I ever had with Clooney, it was in the mid 90s. It was actually 96. And I remember this because I didn't find him particularly. I didn't like ER. I remember thinking, you know, like, okay, movie star type, whatever. But we had this phone conversation. I had just come back from a screening of Ransom. And it was, this is how how not big he was then. He gave me his home number. So Wait, I, you know, not not without my son. That Ransom? <laughs> yes, Ransom yeah, with yeah. Mel Gibson. With Mel Gibson. Uh, yes. And so, <laughs> um, so I called Clooney on his home number. At his home he, number. And, and his pig, did his pig answer? Uh, his pig was probably nearby. I didn't hear it oinking or whatever. The <laughs> Speaking of Vietnamese. Um, but anyway, um, so he, we ended up having a two hour conversation during this interview. And he, the story was, I wasn't reviewing then. It was a story about how he was complaining about paparazzi because he'd had an assistant that was being sort of, you know, almost manhandled by paparazzi. And he was saying this has gone too far and he was speaking out about it. And way back before, you know, princess Diana and all that stuff. Um, Anyway, so that was what the crux of this news story was. And his dad had been a news journalist, so he was happy to talk to the LA Times about this. And I said, oh, you know, I was calling him at like nine o'clock after the screening. And he said, well, what screening did you go to? And I said, Ransom. And he said, oh, well, that guy. And this is before all the Mel Gibson horribleness. Um, he said, that guy's a movie star. And he's like, he's got that quality. And I said, you have the same quality. And this was before he was like, he'd really done much of anything, done a couple of movies, 96. And he said, oh, no, no, no. And I said, no, 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 you totally do. <laughs> and so I just, oh, that always stayed in my head. Like years later when he became arguably a bigger movie star than Mel Gibson, you know, there he was pointing to Mel Gibson and, now no. that guy's a movie star. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> by the way, timing wise, you're, you're a year away from him filming out of sight. Right. Sort of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and done one fine that, day, I think, or that came out the same year, I think. But. One fine day. Yes. That was Michelle Pfeiffer. right? Yeah. Yeah. See again, like, I mean, there's a couple like they, they kept trying to match him. Is he tough? Is he romantic? Is right. he rom-com? Is he right. like the, yeah. you know, uh, I would say Ryan Reynolds had a similar arc over the last 10 years. Yeah. You know, the town yeah. likes him. The town He's likes another charmer. Yeah. Yeah. Charmer on and off the screen. Yes. Probably. I can imagine him in a pitch meeting. Everyone's like, Oh, Ryan Reynolds is here. Although you know? they're saying he, he's too old to play Ken. Which I thought was hilarious. No, no, no. That's Ryan. Gosling. Oh, Ryan Gosling. Sorry, that was Ryan Gosling. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. I interviewed him at Sundance on Ryan Reynolds, and he was so charming. It was just like, oh, of God, course, because you're a journalist, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, even though you're a journalist and you're cynical, it's like you kind, you kind of can't help it. You're, you're just like, like oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. You know, this is going to go way back, but like the going in with a television show with movie stars was sort of not as precedented then with project Greenlight. So I heard tell from a lot of friends that like Matt and Ben are coming to the pitches and like all the offices were a flutter and Oh, the movie stars coming to our little reality show, you know, department. And it was just, it's funny. Like there still is that power. The reason I bring it up at all, and not to say that you're the like, end all be all either bestower of stardom or like decision, you know, (laughs) deciding who who and who isn't, but it's just the notion that that's, that's kind of in the zeitgeist right now to use the old word that 
seems to have fallen out of favor is um, what is a movie star and where, where have they gone? Right. So especially, you know, like uh, you hear it a lot. I mean, it's funny. Well, people to have say said like um, Tom Cruise is the last movie star or something like that. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, Will Smith was up there, but yes. so, yeah. you know, you so who's left? Right? If you're no matter how high up you are, well, you can't see yourself. Yeah. You know, right. in that case. Yeah. But uh, no, the uh, right. And it's not even like, uh, oops, cultural misstep or whatever. You could say Tom Cruise jumped on the wrong couch and came back strong. It's really more <laughs> about what are the vehicles, right? And so, right. and look, I hate to use the B word, but brand. I use the word brand in this business a lot more than I used to. I'll tell you that. Much. I know. Yes. Yeah, and Ryan, Ryan and I <laughs> never thought I would it. use it, but yeah. No. And then here it is. So you could say there's a Tom Cruise brand. I mean, no yeah. one would ding you and you, anyone could probably isolate it in five sentences. Right. But you know what? That's what I, why I always like when he doesn't play those brands. I, I'm not a huge. So like, you like zagging instead of zigging. You're telling the like, rock to stop yes. do this. I like when he plays, this. I like when he plays villains. I liked him in Magnolia. Cruise villains, collateral. Collateral. Yes. That's, when I like Cruz, I never like Cruz in anything. I mean, yes, of course, I might have a fun time watching him in Mission Impossible, but I only like him when he plays villains because I feel like that's the talent. His best, one of his best roles ever was in uh, Tropic Thunder. Yes. Uh, like, oh my God. Was yes. Fantastic. That was, we don't even recognize, recognize him at all, right? Comedy. Comedy. I mean, I think villain. that was his comeback to there. I think he kind of was on. I mean, if Tom Cruise can be on rough ground, I think there was a time when he was on rough ground and he played that character and everyone was like, oh, Tom Cruise, we love you. <laughs> exactly. Get me fat yeah. hands. I want fat hands. Yeah, Sumner Redstone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Claudia's the best. And we'll be right back to her in a second. But first, we wanted to quickly remind you that we've got a whole back catalog of incredible interviews with other brilliant creative. Are we brilliant? I don't know who wrote this copy. With other, with their brilliant, we're not creative minds waiting to brighten up your commute, dog walk, dishwashing routine, uh, workout, uh, sad, semi-flaccid masturbation. Here's a little taste from our episode with actor Ryan Donahue from season one, where we talk about how movies can provide solace and even escape from the darker parts of your world. Enjoy. I mean, I'd always, you know, wanted to act and kind of deep down thought I would, like from back in the trailer days, my mom had these this huge bookshelf full of movies, you know, um, and uh, I would watch all of them over and over and over again. She would throw away the, uh, the ones that she deemed like demonic, like once every couple months she would have like an episode and be like, this is all demonic and throw them away. And I would dig them out of the trash and hide them and watch them. And those were the good ones. And those were the good ones, you know, those were like, you know, again, like the Beverly Hills Cops and Gremlins and, you know, Terminator. And even, I remember her throwing away Forrest Gump and I was like, what's wrong with Forrest? And it's because they, you know, did drugs or whatever. But yeah, so I, so that kind of came first, like my, my interest in the escapism of film and, and what that meant for me, you know. Do you remember watching those VHSs and, and being able to forget what was going on around you? Oh yeah, yeah. They would, yeah. I became completely engulfed in, in whatever I was watching, you know. And again, like I said, I would watch them over and over and over again. Right. I love the garbage can retrieval, like the yeah. Now you had it was almost like porn. You had a little hidden stash of like 
the good stuff that mm-hmm. they know about. Yeah. Well, then, and I'd slowly put them back on the shelf too. Sometimes, <laughs> like you know, like I just, I'd be like, she's gonna forget, and I'd like slowly fill in the gaps again, and then right. you know, and so like fully cementing her religious confusion. She thought Satan was returning them to yeah, the shelf. Exactly. Great. Yeah, Make sure you go back and listen to this and all the other episodes archived at howigotgreenlit.com. And now back to the show. We technically have a format here. We talk about uh, how I got greenlit. That's the name of the show. And we right. try to we try to isolate a greenlit moment. And and obviously you're a, a part of the filmmaking process. It's it, usually most people say, "Oh, my first film," or that time I worked with that big actor, or whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, you talked about interviewing Clooney. Is there is there an equivalent in your in your writing or even in your in your advocacy advocacy of any stripe festivals whatever you've done where where you kind of pinched yourself like wow i'm i'm a part of this like this yeah i mean it's funny because my memory is such that since i've been doing this for i mean i've been a journalist for over 30 years and i've been reviewing for like 20 or 23 years so I will, I have like really like seminal old memories from like when it first started. And then I have recent memories and the stuff in between. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like, it's all kind of gone into the ozone. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so my really old memory um, that happened in like 2001 was I reviewed, it was the first few months that I was reviewing at USA Today. And I reviewed a movie called The Deep End with Tilda Swinton. Do you remember that movie? I don't. You would not be you would not be unusual if you did not, but it was really good. Um, Gordon Visionick and Tilda Swinton. It was kind of Tilda Swinton's star-making turn. Mr. Reese, I want you to stay away from my son. I thought that was your little secret. There are some secrets. He's my friend. That's all. That can never be told. She played a mother, a fiercely loving mother whose son. Um, was involved in uh, a gay affair with Josh Lucas. That was before Josh Lucas was a thing. And um, things happened and Josh Lucas ended up dead. And it, and so she took the body and hid it because she didn't want her son to be, she didn't know what had happened exactly, but she thought her son might've killed him. So she hid the body, the body's found. And so it's just a matter of time until the son or she get exposed. And she's this very, it's in Lake takes place in Lake Tahoe. She's a kind of an upper middle-class wife and mother. The husband is out of town anyway. So it's like, it's very suspenseful. It's really well done. Got lots of good reviews. If you go on Rotten Tomatoes, you'll see. Um, And I very tentatively, it was the first movie that I'd given four stars to four was the maximum amount of stars that we can give at USA Today. Then you couldn't give zero. You wanted to, but if they made a movie, they got a star. <laughs> it was like, okay, let's well, that's good me. to know. So you yeah. can't give zero and four needs to be reviewed by a panel of eight of your peers. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so yeah. here's your little star because you made a movie. But anyway, so I gave it four stars. I thought it was really great. It was really suspenseful, really interesting, took really unusual turns. And, um, but I remember being a little nervous because it was my first, you know, like four star movie. And I'm like, you know, I hope it's this good, but it was this good to me. And, and then other people reviewed it. Well, anyway, I was, I was, that happened. And then Fox Searchlight took my review in its entirety 
and took out a full page ad in the New York Times for it. And my whole review ran in the New York Times. Wow. Um, and that was when I was like, oh, my God. And I, you know, I was sort of in awe. Um, and I thought it would happen again. It never did happen again. So, <laughs> but um, it was pretty cool to open it's, the New York Times. Did you frame that? Did you frame that up? Do you have that No, somewhere? I did not. People have asked me that. I did not frame yeah. it. Because I think I thought it would happen again, or I just didn't. And I, maybe I kept it somewhere. It's, who knows? But I didn't. I can't. It's an awesome memory, though, for sure. Yeah. Cool, huh? It's it well. It also asks a, like a follow up question I was thinking, which is like, how does a reviewer feel about when they see like that when they do that second run poster where it's like four stars New York Times, you know, three and a half stars Variety, whatever, and it's your name under there. Like, it's got to be a cool feeling. Like, wow, I'm associated with this film that I think should have more attention. Is there? Uh, do you ever feel? editor uh, what's the word i'm looking for kind of like is there a tinge of like wow am i am, am i am i have i crossed the journalistic marketing the the rubric you know like that that yeah. permeable membrane like what's my editorial line well right? in the case of like talking about the advocacy going back to the advocacy point in the case of a movie that you think is amazing that people are not going to see like the deep end and you guys are a perfect yeah. example you guys are you know uh <laughs> film literate and didn't yeah. remember yeah. it yeah, exactly. you should go go back and see it but um but yeah in the case of something like that where you love something it's okay. You feel like, okay, I'm helping this movie along in the case where, you know, you have something slightly taken out of context or you, or they have those like one word quotes, those tricky, yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Effervescent. But really your yeah. sentence was, was, I wish this was more effervescent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that happened to me. I remember with the, the Indiana Jones, not this very recent one, but the one that Shia LaBeouf did in like 2007 ish or whatever that, that Indiana Jones Thank you. And I said something like, you know, it's not as, I don't even remember the word now. Um, it's, you know, not as enthralling as, you know, you would expect from Spielberg and da, 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 da. And then they take out the word enthralling. They literally did that. Um, <laughs> cloudy point. And I was like, um, <laughs> like, who do you talk to? Who do you call? You can, like, call, the studio, say, hey. you can call the publicist, but it's not them. It's somebody, you know, like, and it's already, the horse has already left the barn. Yeah. They're not going to pull back the giant billboard on sunset. that says enthralling. <laughs> exactly. The last, yeah. the last thing that Indiana Jones and the crystal skull was, was enthralling. <laughs> Yeah, that was the exactly, last thing, right? I mean, it was I mean, so I, my, you know, obviously the three, you know, the previous three movies, I, I, you can't say enough. I mean, it ended yeah. on uh, the Last Crusade, and then to have it come back to that was, it was pretty brutal. Absolutely. The one thing is, you could try to write like after that. I tried to be really careful about how I worded things so that that would never happen again. And so that is the one that I remember it happening. The weird thing that I have found by doing NPR, though, is that you know, you're it's conversational. It's like this. It's like if someone took a quote out of this, right? And anything. Oh God, God help us. (laughs) Yellow book or something. You know, like (laughs) you can't. Ryan Gibson says, "God help us." They, they they can use that quote anytime. Actually, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's a good quote. I, well, so I had one of those that was pulled because Rotten Tomatoes will pull a quote right out of your review, which is fine. Yeah. Um, sometimes people send the quotes, so that's a good thing because then you can make sure that it's something you want. But when it comes to NPR, they just pull what they want. So I was reviewing a couple weeks ago. I was reviewing the, the movie that's on Netflix that was made by Alfonso Cuarón's son. Honus Coron called Chupa. It's about a chupacabra. And it has Demian Bichir 
And um, anyway, I the quote that they pulled out was, <laughs> I was saying blah, blah, blah. And then I said, but that little chupa was so cute. So it says, that little chupa was so cute. <laughs> I'm like, that was me as a five-year-old reviewing a movie. <laughs> exactly. And that's here, here, the quote. Do you, do you think there's something uh, disingenuous about uh, – you know, studios or, or, you know, uh, distributors when they put like the four or when they put the quote on top and then they put the name of the person who wrote it very, the reviewer, very tiny. I've noticed that that is something they've done that's changed over the years. Yeah. Well, because, you know, it goes back to, there is no, you were talking at the top of the show, Alex, about like, you, you know, you called upon uh, Pauline Kale or Roger Ebert. Notice those are the name, the two names that it's been years, you know, especially Pauline Kale since. They've been, I mean, Ebert's been dead forever. Yeah. Kale recently died, right. but but, but they no haven't. Critics that you can their really power name. right was forty years right. Ago. What so was the guy now, on today? It, now it's the power. Gene, uh, Shallot, Gene Shallot, yeah, Gene Shallot, yeah, Gene Shallot is another <laughs> one. But now there's nobody. It's it's sort of more the outlet, and it's the. Um, Sort of the collective, right? You can say like the LA film. Well, the tomato is basically an algorithmic. Uh, it's a number. It's an average, right? right? Right. But I'm just saying, in terms of like, there's no really famous critic anymore. Um, no, there just especially is. on a Today Show. Like, oh, it's time. I mean, yeah. Gene Shallon yeah. had the little film canvas. I mean, he had a whole. But is that because on. everyone's a critic? Well, because there are that many more critics, everyone's a critic, yeah. And because well, it's just people don't pay as much attention to them with the internet. It's just, I mean, you might say in LA, everybody knows Justin Chang because he's the local critic. But yeah. it, you know, in terms of a national scale like that, there just isn't. There isn't some one person who can make or break, or can you know, like what Pauline Kael did with Bonnie and Clyde or Warren Beatty and all that stuff. That right. can't happen anymore. So it's a very different industry. So by in answer to your question, Ryan, they, when they put the name so small. It makes sense. It's the outlet that means more. It's the sort of um, collective of a critics group or all the critics groups say this as opposed to, um, you know, whatever, uh, Tony or, you know. I also also found, Ryan, that I think when I would lean in to to read who said that was that, you know, a masterpiece – the reason they make it so small is because some of these outlets are not the. No, they're from like the outlets. San Jose. It's like right. the Star the Press. Clownfart.org film appreciation <laughs> podcast calls it. You know, like it, they, they, they're when they're scraping that low. It's not. It's not the usual. You know, the storied uh, journalistic pillars. I of think our, you of see this. I. You know, I don't want to brand it or say this is the way it always is, but I think you see this on in more independent films yeah. and trying to get, you know, promotion. Oh, and anything. Yeah. yeah. Especially like the, with the, with the laurels, you know, the, yeah. and then you look at what, well, what's the laurel for? It's like, you know, Larry's film festival, you know, Moline, Iowa. What I noticed, like I went to an early screening of, um, uh, the flash and, yeah. uh, influencers are the thing now it's like they mean a whole lot more than critics to certain movies right when it comes to a movie like the flash or a movie a big movie of that sort that you know may or may not be reviewed all right all right Um, you said it Uh, claudia i have to know yeah give it up come on what? How is it? talk about how is it uh, preview it (laughs) give us a flash on the flash Uh, there were aspects of it that I loved. I loved Michael Keaton showing up as that's Batman. What I was, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that was the best. He was great. 
Um, Affleck too has a little. Uh, so those things were fun. Sort of. Did Clooney, the, did Clooney come I see, back? I see the poster. Aspects are good. Says <laughs> good. Claudia. Claudia. <laughs> Claudia good. Dot, 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 good. Yeah. I, you know, I don't have anything against Ezra Miller. I think they did a you know a, a good job, but I think there's something lacking in their sort of light humor kind of there isn't that charm that i think needed to be in that character that um, marvel maybe has yes done better. yes yeah, and i think yeah. i don't know if struggles it, with that i mean shazam was a little lighter i think that yes performer yes had, had uh, and shazam a, comic I chops really annoying but um but it yeah, is no, annoying I, <laughs> it is annoying. I just mean the comedy over drama. It was it, they they went for comedy. They're yeah. like, we're making a comedy, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that it should be like da, 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 you know that kind of thing, but no, I just feel no. like there should be a light, a certain lightness, and maybe it's the heaviness that is currently dogging Ezra Miller that is a problem. But you know, it's what? hard. To- <laughs> you haven't heard about it? <laughs> what Ezra Miller is causing problems? <laughs> uh, well, it's kind of going back to movie starism. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. I just watched an interview with uh, the two guys who made Feige and uh, and John Favreau kind of interviewed each other for the 15th anniversary of Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing we haven't heard before. It's just fascinating. I mean, everybody out there, treat yourself. If you want to see like sort of filmmaking in in situ, uh, look at the screen test that that. Robert Downey Jr. No, he's a perfect example. He was right. pitch perfect. He's absolutely yeah. perfect in that role. And I'm not to say that all, you know, superheroes have that to have that particular blend. But, but that was the hook. Yeah. That's the and and by the way, Feige didn't just say that film was because of that. He said the whole Marvel universe rotates on Robert Downey Jr.'s performance and tonal lock of light, but drama, but human. Out of all the characters in the Marvel universe, they started it on Iron Man. I mean that was a which re- is not that was the, a reach which is like starting with. Star Wars on uh, Luke, you know the, the nine son. nub yeah. or something like <laughs> yeah. you know? so, yeah. so but but anyway all right all right well, and I think it's a little too dramatic I think they're yeah, a good yeah. dramatic he's not roles. that funny he's no. funny inadvertently yeah like that's his yeah. issue right yeah uh, speaking of uh, speaking of Tilda Swinton playing a concerned mom well yeah that's movie. Tilda Swinton yes I love that movie what yeah. uh, we need to talk about uh, Kevin something about Kevin we need to yeah, talk yeah, about Kevin yeah talk about Kevin. Yeah, but, that's the first time I So Ezra is certainly a great actor. Yes. It's just it's yes. it's a very specific kind. Yes. All right. We, exactly. We're limited on time. I'm going to ask you as a longtime programming director of many influential film festivals, what can you tell about aspirant filmmakers out there for the films you're looking for to get into the Santa Barbara International Film Festival? <laughs> you know, here's a little tip for everybody yeah. listening. Yes. And um it's a tip for many film festivals, but it's particularly a tip for Santa Barbara, I think. Nobody makes a good comedy and submits it to a film festival. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Everything's dark. Dark and heavy. Heavy, heavy, heavy. Dark. And I'm going to out-dark you. Yeah. This one's about uh, the Armenian genocide uh, meets... Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so nobody... So, and it's very hard to make a good comedy, right? You can have a movie that has some comedic moments, but the rest is not. It's, I think it's probably the hardest thing to make a, 
90 minutes. I say 90 minutes because they should probably not be longer than 90 minutes. Oh, keep it short. Yeah. Yeah, 80 minutes. Yeah, Yeah, 87. That's the sweet spot. (laughs) Um, But it's really hard to make a consistently funny movie. You do have to be a really good writer. You have to be clever. You have to, you know, you have to, all those stars have to align. But if you can do that, it's, that is golden because- We've never, we're always like, oh God, we need a comedy. And right. Well, you need a bright light. I mean, yeah. how many films are you personally watching? Oh to my God. Choose- I can't even tell you. We have 5,000 films submitted. Um, okay. We had, we had 4,000, like 4,800 this past year, the year before that was 5,000. Um, I do not personally watch all 5,000, but I do watch hundreds and hundreds of them because we do have, there's four of us on the programming team and we all divide them up amongst ourselves. But then there's also, you know, screeners who will watch things and be like the first line of defense. And they will rate things on a scale of, again, um, you know, giving them threes, go starting at four, four, three, two, one. We don't even bother to watch the ones. If someone has given it a one, um, we will watch the fours and threes very definitely. And, or, and then maybe, maybe the so case- you do this, you do the same as USA today did to you. No zeros. <laughs> so, so when you do, you, would you say that there are film and this is cruel, the cruel uh, realism of the, of this, but would you say that if one of your reviewers starts watching a movie and within 15 minutes, they can't hold on, they're like, I can't do this. Do, does Do you think that happens? Um, I hope that that doesn't happen because the, we do make promise to watch everything in its entirety. Um, so yeah. and by the way, and maybe and something okay. better. Yeah. I mean, do you give yeah. refeedback back ever yeah. or you well, just say, no. sorry, you're not. Well, in, the reason you know, we don't give feedback I mean, with 5,000 movies. 5, yeah. Jeez. It's and too much. Yeah. We're not a film school. People have asked that. And, you know, um, we just can't, we can't do yeah, that with that's everything. That's not our role here. No, yeah. no. But, um, but I, no one I expects you to Claudia. No, no, just, I wish you, I wish you would. Like how close to the mark did we get? But um, all right. Well, I mean, I will write well, back sometimes personally. Um, yeah. But like, hey, really good effort. Keep trying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's some right, things well, that we, you know, we have yet to like really disagree. The four of us. I'm I'm kind of the last word. But yeah. um, you know, we have yet to like two people absolutely love it. One person hates. It. You know, we don't generally. We you know having four. You have the same opinion. People. Yeah. It works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a consensus. Yeah. Um. All right, we uh, you have a hard out coming up. So for the f- remaining minutes, we are going to discuss one of my favorite movies that you brought as our B side. That is famous directors, lesser known work that we can turn on our audience to. Yes, uh, it's called Out of Sight, directed by Steven Soderbergh, starring George Clooney and uh, Jennifer Lopez. J. I think. That may have been the beginning of the Jayla. I think she was Jennifer Lopez. I think it was when Jenny from the block happened or something. Yes. It was was definitely writing on that popularity. Yes. Yes. But I I have to say, in addition to those two, it has the most, it has a great ensemble cast. cast. Louise Guzman, John Cheadle, Catherine Keener, Ving Rames, Dennis Farina, a bald Albert Brooks, Nancy Allen. Keaton. And the person. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton, exactly. Steve's on. Michael Keaton in and Viola Davis in almost a cameo. A f- it's like a throwaway. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's I, every I totally role about Michael Keaton and Viola Davis, and I was watching it again. I'm like, what? Because um, yeah, I'm like, we get five minutes with them. Go back to them. Yeah. What are they doing? Exactly. Yeah. They're so great. Yeah. It's a crazy cast. Um, and yes. it's it and- stands up really well. 
It's so it's well one hidden. of Cheadle's best. I mean, Definitely. he's the scariest I've seen. He yes. was pretty scary in Devil in a Blue Dress, but this one yes. is really scary. You know, when I got put in here a year ago on credit card fraud, I didn't really get no props for that, you know, but ever since I shanked that loudmouth pussy in the yard the other day, <laughs> it's like my Dun and Broad Street around this bitch done shot way the fuck up, man. Actually, it's uh, Dun and Brad Street. That's the, um, well, I've, I've heard it both ways. Point is that the price is going up around this bitch too, okay? So get your little black book out. We got some business to talk about. You know, I, it was when I, I really was became aware of him. It's so yeah. smart. It's so slick. It's so it's sexy. It's an action film. It's 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 got a little Elmore Leonard. Elmore Leonard. Yes. Talk about tone and Scott Frank it's, adapting Elmore Leonard and Scott. Yes. Doesn't get so, better than that. I mean, that was the beginning of a pretty good run. I mean, Justified and, uh, you know, Jackie Brown came on the heels of this. Yeah. And actually, Keaton, Keaton's playing the same role. Did you know that? No. In, in, so in Jackie Brown and this film, Karen Sisko is an Elmore Leonard character, right? So uh, he plays this, this kind of hotshot boyfriend. It's the same guy. In Jackie Brown. Wow, I did not with know the glasses that. around the neck and the hey babe and the oh, chewing gum. Oh yeah, okay. It, so it's it's like the Elmore Leonard universe, uh -huh. uh, you know, uh -huh. of, of stuff. But um, so let's talk about Clooney. So he's rangy and wiry and thin and yes. young. Yeah, and you yeah. know, and it's it's funny to see like wow, like he's young. You know? Yeah, no, so that totally. I mean, the, he was so young because I think we 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 all because he's still around, obviously, and we all have this we, image. We of, have this like elder states. Yeah, vibe, and he's still he was beautiful, like, of course, and gorgeous. But it, he was so young and thin looking, and yeah, and kind of goofy. Like there was goofy. some goofiness yeah. to him. He was, and then J Lo he, too. I mean, young and you no know, makeup and so fresh faced, and the two of them just had this chemistry to burn. I just it was so great watching them. Dennis Farina is her dad. I mean, every role, you know, it's one of those rare movies that's an ensemble cast and everybody has these layered meaty parts, which uh, like a him. moment to shine. Yeah. yeah they all kind of shine in their, I mean, Steve Zahn yes. is just doing, He's doing the Steve Zahn and, thing, but, yes, so but, but yeah. that wasn't that, that wasn't a thing yet. No, he, I think he just, he turned yeah. this role into a 20 year run. That's right. A like brand. A he turned it character. into a brand. <laughs> yes, totally. And Farina, of course, doing his, his Farina thing. But yeah. well, I want to talk about that. The sparks like chemistry. Right. I think that's what I remembered uh, from the film. Obviously, I love Soderbergh. You're even seeing the Soderbergh brand start yes. to emerge. Yes. The editing that we start to see more of that sort of. Um, that was Envy you know, Coates, by the way, who was an amazing editor. Um, and yes. That that, you see it in the limey. Yes. Uh, it, that was that sort of circular thing where we are in a piece. Of, we, we, we see a scene and then we kind of circle back 50 minutes later, like, oh, now yeah. I understand back and yeah. forth. A lot of that was going on late 90s. Yeah. Reservoir Dogs, yeah. Pulp Fiction was out right. then. They, he kind of started uh, it, it seemed like. Or was it? Yeah. Really well, after? actually... Uh, uh, what's the, what's the film with, uh, Lee Marvin that John Schlesinger did? Uh, um, Blue? No, no, no. Uh, uh, he, he's Ryan, help me out. Uh, you, I'll think of it in a second. Um, not you always kill me when I do shit like this, so I'm not helping you. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to let you twist and waste the in, last 30 in the, seconds. 
in the commentary for the limey, he basically cops to stealing the editing style. They, they that he was stuck with okay. like a linear, okay. with the linear story, and he played with the like the well, non-linear. Wait, let's, yes, let's, yes, the back and forth. And come around, yeah. And so, you know what I loved so, was that he he landed on just the right balance between sort of mainstream entertainment and sort of art and indie. Yeah. The, Yes, you see the step between the two worlds. Yes. Mr. Sex Lies and Videotape yes. is becoming and, lost. And Ocean's Eleven. It's like you take Sex Lies and Videotape. Ocean's That's Eleven. That's the the next movie. movie. It's him and yeah. Clooney. Yeah. That was the beginning of their big run with Smokehouse and their whole like you know right, right, dream right. team yeah. kind of aesthetic. So that scene in the which is you know a Detroit Hilton or whatever. Oh but my god, it, that is. It looks so... like the inside of a snow globe. I mean, yes. it's just gorgeous. It's so right? beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. The way yeah. it's cut, you just get you know. Well, I don't. I can't think of another movie in which two people are like sitting together and there's that. The chemistry is just boiling. Just chemistry. Yeah. They're just they. And they I don't know if it was really if they the had sense. it or if it was the brilliant editing and direction that created it. I still don't know, but. Um, I would love to. It's well, like I'll I love ask to you. Ask I, asked, I asked another uh, guest, and he sort of demurred on the answer. But I'll ask it again because I hear it a lot. I read about it, and I and I see it in behind the scenes. I don't know about the production of this film, but there's an old there's an old uh, saw that the harder it was to make, the better the film comes out sometimes. Like if you have a Uh-oh. really good time on a set, there's not always, it doesn't always come out great. Like, yes. It, do you know what I mean? There's yes. a, there's an op, a, a sort of yeah. reverse corollary between like right. a difficult or, shoot or and the a chemistry. Great I mean, you seek married people together and they don't have the chemistry and then no. you're waiting for it to happen. I, you know, yeah. Like, uh, well, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, who knows if they ever had it, but, um, you know, certain things like, Whoa, shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And and on that and on that note, that's the end. <laughs> that is that is my heart out, but I hate to end yeah. on that note. Yes. No, but it, there, there's something to be said, and I I would say if it's married people, they they already know all the secrets. You know, there's an old anecdote. Uh, Paul Rothschild, the guy who produced The Doors and did a lot of you know major recording in the 60s and 70s, he worked with Janis Joplin for the first time, and they fell in love. And they want it, and she desperately wanted to be with him, and he wouldn't allow it until they finished recording. He said, "Get it on, get it." Oh, uh, interesting. Tape. Yeah, get it on the tape. Yeah, get it on the tape. So there might be something too. Yeah, there was a real spark there. Well, remember the it, whole Cheers, Sam and Diane. You know, before, there was always that's fun it. Where they got together, right? Yeah. Yes, the yeah. spark is the will they, won't they, or yeah. the the sort of like the promise of right. it, not necessarily the the right, execution. Right, right. Moonlighting. All right, and without <laughs> and and with that, the sparks have been flying. <laughs> With Claudia Puig, uh, I am Alex Collegian. This is oh, my co-host Ryan. Wait, Gibson. wait, wait, wait! Before we go, we have to give yes. her at least a plug. Claudia, please plug away. Oh, do you have plug. any? Do you have stuff to? We I want to make sure we want to. Well, they, in 2023, next January is it? You'll be uh, the Santa Barbara. 20, yes, February 24. February. Yes, February 2024. Uh, we'll um, yes, come to the and, Santa Barbara w- Film Festival. And those you filmmakers out there who are making comedies, submit. <laughs> Get on them. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here. Comedy <laughs> away. Most you, brilliant comedy. You can hear her on uh, the NPR uh, film, film week. week. It's on every, LA East 89.3. I was on last week. Uh, I won't be on this week, but um, yes, that's where you can hear me. 
And uh, do you have a, do you do uh, postings on uh, Twitter? Yeah. Twitter? Yeah. So it's just at Claudia Puig on Twitter. And um, yeah, Instagram is like Claudia underscore Puig underscore. Cause believe it or not, there is another Claudia Puig. There are a few of them out there in the world, but um, popular. Yeah. Well, if you want to hear, cool. if you want to read Claudia tearing apart young filmmakers and destroying their dreams, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm Crushing cool. dreams every week on MT- NPR. <laughs> She's an All advocate. Right, Claudia, th- thank you so much for joining us. We really thank appreciate you. it. Yes, it very much. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Hey, everybody out there. It's your co-host, Ryan Gibson. Subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember five stars, thumbs up, whatever you can do. It helps the show. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell anyone you know who likes movies or wants to make it in a creative field. Follow us on How I Got Greenlit on Instagram and Twitter. And please go to howigotgreenlit.com for our vault. Send all your questions, comments, complaints, and guest recommendations to howigotgreenlit at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening to How I Got Greenlit. I'm Alex Collegian, your co-host. And I'm Ryan Gibson, your other co-host. We'll catch you next time. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy... It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. Next chapter podcasts.